He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. Hello and welcome to another edition of the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Uh, and obviously, Colby Powell is not here today, so that means, T-Dub, the parents are gone. We're going to have some fun. We're, we're, gonna, we're, <laughs> we're grabbing the ship by, by the wheel, and we're, we don't know where it's taking us. We, we might end up like the Titanic. Who, who knows at this point, but we're going to have a lot of fun doing it, my No, friend. but Colby, Colby obviously uh, is... On vacation with his uh, beautiful wife, Dana. And so... Happy anniversary Happy to them. anniversary to them. And so he will obviously be back next week. But we got a big week, T-Dub. It is the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. We haven't seen it since 2008. We will dive a little bit into that. We had some great play uh, on the Corn Ferry Tour by some Oklahoma guys. We had some great play on the PGA Tour uh, by some local guys. And so we will dive into most of that and try to hit every little thing. We might even dive into some rabbit holes uh, between me and T-Dub on the U.S. Open. But first, T-Dub, I got to give you a huge congratulations on your pick this week. Garrick Higo of South Africa wins the Palmetto Championship at Congaree uh, Golf Club. And so, take it away, T-Dub. I mean, are you Nostradamus or are you Rain Man? Man, I tell you what, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you boys. I, I wasn't running to the uh, the betting ticket window with the Garrett Higo <laughs> ticket. I wasn't I wasn't grabbing my savings account running up. I wasn't that sure about it. And, you know, Sam, we saw it. I mean, it wasn't – this isn't one of those deals where Higo went out and shot eight under <laughs> on the last round and won the tournament. We, yeah. had, we had some very evident chokes, and we had some sneaky chokes out there by some players. Yeah, we did. And, you know, and – you know, we, we can just start rattling them off. You know, obviously, I want to give Higo all the credit for, for his win. But, I mean, guys like our boy Bo Van Pelt, who was 12 under at one point with a couple holes to go. And, and hit a, one thing I noticed, Sam, you know, we can get even a bit more into this. Some of the shots that the guys were hitting, iron shots from the middle of the fairways coming down the stretch. I mean, you know, they're 160 yards or eight irons for right. these guys. And for them to completely miss the green and miss their targets by over 20-something yards goes to show that – the nerves of winning a golf tournament are so serious and so – it's almost like you can't even breathe at some points, and that's right. what it looked like a lot of those guys were dealing with. It, well, it did. It looked like you had a leaderboard full of guys who winning this tournament would change their life. And, I mean, we it showed us how pressure affects the hands in the golf swing, you know, and it, and it showed uh, a lot coming down the stretch there. I just saw a bunch of uh, poor shots by guys that were playing really good golf that week, but I would be remiss first if we didn't congratulate Bo Van Pelt on his great play this week. That was really impressive stuff. Uh, everything that he's gone through, the injuries, the thoracic outlet syndrome that he's battled with in the past and has the special special exemption this uh, year. And so it was really uh, great to see him. He has one of the sweetest swings uh, on tour. He just, you know, he looks kind of Freddie Couples-esque sometimes. Uh, Just super sweet. But, you know, like you said, uh, had a couple bogeys coming down the stretch. Almost made the putt at 18. I don't know how it didn't fall. I was about to jump out of my chair when that ball uh, grazed the edge there. But huge shout-out to uh, the Tulsa guy, Bo Van Pelt, and OSU as well. 
well. So that was really that was really fun to watch. Let, let me get your opinion on this, Sam, because this is what I was talking with my dad about when I was watching the shot. Because Bo Van Pelt's one of the people I was talking about where he didn't hit a very good shot in the 18, hit it in that well, front bunker. But I think what what caused that was he kind of missed it off the tee and left himself a longer shot into the green. He had like 195 where a lot of guys were having like maybe 160. I thought he was a little closer than that. Yeah, no, he was 195. He actually striped it, but he missed clubbed. And, and I mean, maybe because everyone in the background was like, wow, like that's really good, you know, and the crowd and everything. And they were like, this is on a great line. And he was kind of staring it down. It just came up a little bit short. He didn't hit a great bunker shot, but then almost made the putt. That, that's what I was going to ask about. It seemed like he played it with played it fairly square, but it seemed like he had a pretty high lofted wedge. You know, how, how do you play those long, like, 30-yard bunker shots? You because know, that's one of the hardest shots in golf. I've always – the way I was taught was to either take a lob wedge or a sand wedge, sand wedge depending on the length of shot, and swing as hard – open the face and swing pretty much as hard as you can. But it, what really – I mean, that's easy to say, but it comes from a lot of practice and just getting the feel of, of how far to hit behind the ball and how, how much bounce to use and, and you know, how hard – is hard enough to swing for a 30-yard bunker shot. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to where I grew up at Hefner Golf Course, and I was hitting those shots all the time over there on a chipping green. But for people that, you know, don't have time to practice all the time like that, I would suggest uh, instead of playing the chunk and run, you know, the chunk and run is the safer option, but I would learn how to use the bounce of your wedge. Open that face, swing hard, and hit about an inch behind the ball or, or – you know, a half an inch behind the ball and learn uh, how to get comfortable uh, that you won't blade it or fat it. And and I think that that's how you technically hit those bunker shots to the best of your ability. And, and you know, we got every, obviously everyone in this tournament's one of the best golfers in the world. And it just looked like for me, I mean, Bo is probably what? I mean, 25 yards from the pin, probably something like that. And probably more than that. Maybe more than that, maybe even up to 30, maybe even a little longer. And with this high lofted wedge like that, you have to – you you have to hit the nip spinner if you have yeah. that much club and with when you have that much green to work with it's and he was on a little bit of an upslope too were you one of those guys that could hit like the pitching wedge nine iron see that's what splash? I was see that's what I was uh, talking about where it's like I, I was the opposite I could never get comfortable with it because I was used to hitting the spinner and so when it ran out it it didn't suit my eye yeah well one one thing to consider is if you don't have very deep sand it's hard, you can't hardly hit that shot because the the ground just bounces off and you hit yep. that nine iron two hundred yards or however far you do and so it's <laughs> just and, hit a home run. Yeah, exactly. He would hit it over the stands. But also at the same time, the shot that Bo was trying to hit out of that bunker, I mean, you got to nip it just right. If you don't nip it, you're going to hit the exact same thing. With So, I mean, so much of it depends on sand and, and um, the depth of it and the slope. And Gary Player said it interestingly in one of his playing videos. He said there's more to read in a bunker than there is on any green. And I don't necessarily know if that's true or not. Gary but Player says a lot of stuff. Hey, you know, hey we'll save the trees. We want to make sure to save the trees on the course where we cut down 10 – billion trees or whatever it was but never hey by the way i want to i want to share this cool stat with garrett higo he is the first player first player since 1988 uh at the western open jim benepe was the last player to win one of his first two starts on the pga tour you would think that would have happened in our lifetime but i guess yesterday was the first time yeah i I guess yeah that is a weird stat and you know one thing i heard yesterday that was interesting was that you know, because Higo's been playing on European tour a lot. You know, obviously he's yep. had his wins and his high finishes. Three out of the last five, by the way. Last five. And, and obviously, just to let people know, and then, you know, he won twice on the European tour, and then 
played a European Tour event, played the PGA, and then won here. So he's on an absolute heater. One, one thing that's very interesting that they mentioned yesterday was that, you know, the European Tour, they're, I think they're just now at the point of where they're having fans back. And they may not even be at a lot of events. And Higo was mentioning, or someone was mentioning, that the PGA Championship, where he made the cut, was the first tournament that he had played as a professional with fans. Probably ever, really, because he's 22 years old, and we, we both know that there's no fans at amateur events yeah. unless it's like the USM. No, no college events or the Challenge Tour that he played on. I mean, there's there's <laughs> there's five people out there yeah. sometimes. Your mom, dad, your girlfriend, that's yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and especially, you know, being the marquee group. He was in the second-to-last group with our boy Bo Van Pelt, and, you know, I, I think that that's super interesting to note that because we talked about it, like Rory and Phil, those guys, they didn't play well when fans weren't out there. Then as soon as fans come back, Rory wins, Phil wins a major. I mean, it's like the whole world shifted. And it's like there's some guys that play good with fans and there's some guys that don't play good with fans. And, you know, one thing I'll, I'll say about the Palmetto, Sam, it, I think yesterday on 18 was an example of ball don't lie because I don't know if you saw Chesson Hadley hit a, oh. had a big old hook, going to go over into the sand. Spectator just so happily just kicks it back kicks out. Kicks it back out into the fairway. Yeah, I mean, just and then And then he plays it off the tent in the back, and then he doesn't even have the guts to chip it. I want to talk to you a little bit about that, T-Dub. If you got to get a ball up and down, and you're 10 yards off the green, right? Are you hitting that little hybrid or fairway wood little putt shot? Like, I, I hate that. I hate that. I, I think that if you have to get a ball up and down to save your life, you have to chip that ball. And he he was leaving those putts with the fairway wood from off the green short all week. And I don't understand why in that situation where technically that shot is to win the tournament. You have to give yourself a chance to win the tournament. And then, you know, I always think that putting it or chipping it, excuse me, instead of putting it with a fairway wood, you have a better chance to get it close. Um, but, I mean, obviously there's always, you know, the, the chance of boning it or, or fatting it. But you can't be scared of that in that situation. You have to get the ball up and down. If you don't get the ball up and down, he didn't anyways. So what I'm saying is you have to have the guts to chip that ball in that situation. Yeah, I think that – you know, I was, I've always been under the impression of, you know, if you want to get it close, you putt it. If you want to make it, you chip it. But that, what about the fairway wood? The, the fair, see, I, and see, this is one thing that I, I've come around on in the last years, but also one thing I'll mention is that a lot of courses I play around here are very firm, and you get a lot of bare lies. I just and, see and then more guys short. leave it way short. Because or, or what he was doing, they, they even uh, – shout out to Dottie Pepper, who actually had a great call on this. She said he was hitting up on it and kind of hitting the dead spot of the club face of the fairway wood. Mm -hmm. And so, basically, I just see more guys gun it by or leave it way short with the fairway wood. I would almost rather just see him use the putter. Like, if it's that tight of a lie – why not just use the putter if you're that scared of, of blading the chip shot, which you shouldn't be in that situation. You're a professional golfer in the lead of a PGA Tour event. Chip the ball and get it up and down. Well, you know, the, the thing about that is most clear from that, Sam, is that you could tell – Hadley was playing for a playoff. He wasn't yeah. playing to hold that shot to win. Very timid. Which is, you're, you're more scared of, like if he was on the green, you're more scared of three-putting than you are making the putt. Right. And that's, and that's really what got him. As far as the club selection, they kept mentioning it. He, he, had, he had been struggling with that shot all week, it seemed like, leaving it short. And um, I might be wrong on my holes. I know I think it was 14 and 15, maybe 13 and 14. He had some remarkable up and downs. I mean, after some not very good approach shots into the greens. So, I mean, it seems like his wedge game was doing fine. And he hit a, he hit a good um, hybrid putt 
on the the hole previously, but he was also in a more uh, in a situation to use it because, in my opinion, it's a shot to where you use it if you have no way of spinning the ball enough to hold the essentially get it close to the hole. And right. he had so much green to work with that you almost even if his lie was horrible, you could have used a even a gap wedge or pitching wedge and yeah. landed it on the front of the green and let it run I out. I think so. there's other ways in that – I don't know. I, in that situation, just you got to nut up and hit a good chip shot right and, there. And he had to go – he kind of had to go over a ridge a little bit, and so we saw that when it came up short. It started drifting to the right. Um, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I, I kind of agree with you, Sam. I think you need to step up there and, like I said, I think you need to focus more on making it than you do not – Bogeying, essentially. Yeah, and essentially he played, you know, for the up and down and ended up with eight feet anyways. Yeah. So, but anyways, you know, the the clear choke by Chess and Hadley, ball don't lie kind of situation on 18. Uh, the sneaky choke uh, came from Harris English yesterday. Shot a 40 on the back nine. Looked like he was in the driver's seat of the tournament and then just completely lost his game uh, coming down the stretch there. It was really interesting, like I said, to see this leaderboard full of guys who this win would have changed their life and changed their careers. Uh, you know, when you're playing for stuff, it, to get in the U.S. Open, to get in the Masters, to have the exemption, to all this, all this stuff, it, it was clear that Harris English started thinking about that stuff on the back nine. Uh, and man, and then it was tough to see Harris English take all that time and make Chess and Hadley wait on 18 as well. That was kind of a tough situation there uh, for Chess and Hadley. But, you know, Harris English, you know, like Dottie Pepper kind of said, she said it was like a paper cut that you keep, you know, getting paper cut after paper cut after paper cut. And then, you know, Dottie Pepper said, now we got a bleeder. So, you know, <laughs> so T-Dub, did you have any thoughts on uh, Harris English's back nine there? Man, I'll say... You know, they had mentioned after, I think they said it was the players or one of the the Florida Swing tournaments where they said that he hurt his back. And he really hadn't been playing well after he uh, his win at the Century at the start of the year, which was ironic. He's the first person to ever win the Tournament of Champions without winning a tournament the week before uh, <laughs> or, or the year before. Yeah. So um, that's uh, – and. You know, looking on, on it, Sam, I mean, that was, you know, we talked about all that other stuff. He's got a little bit of status because because of that win, but he cost himself a lot of money with that. What he make? Double on the last hole? And so that moved him down mm-hmm. from 7 under to 9 under, which is the difference in, let's see, that was 125. That 9 was, under to 7 under. 9 under to yeah. 7 under, yeah. So that would have been. It, was, di- it would have been solo 10th to tied for 14th is what he ended up finishing. And that's a difference in roughly over – it's over $100,000. And that's just on the last hole. He shot 40 on the back nine. So, five over, thirty par 35 on the back nine. So, there were a bunch of situations where he could have uh, saved himself some money. What, what about uh, – talk about a choke on Saturday who really didn't even hardly see any of them on Sunday but was up there the Monday qualifier. Tane Lee. Yeah, I was about to mention him. It was a great week for him. Monday qualifies and finishes – uh, 15th place however uh, let's see was he 15th or let's T14, see t14 t14 t19 correct i, I see t14 okay right okay here. okay gotcha and so basically uh, you know great week for him monday qualifying but you know in the fourth round there uh and the third round basically tane lee just kind of lost his game there he did i mean you we we kind of saw it a little bit on on saturday that's when i saw it the most was I mean, his putting just was atrocious. They said he – it was kind of funny. They said he three-putted two out of three holes, and the other hole he putted from off the green and three-putted. So yeah. – or, or and two-putted. So, it was essentially a three-putt. So, I think that was a situation of 
before the before Sunday nerve started to get to uh, to Mr. Lee just because I mean when you Monday qualify for a tournament it's kind of weird because you know you want to go in with as, as much expectations as you can but I mean when when you literally just got into the event off of one round I mean obviously you played a few rounds before that but nevertheless it's the, the principle's still the same to have to have confidence and you know one thing I'll, I'll mention here I'm, I'm scrolling through the stats Sam if Chesson Hadley would have won this tournament, he might have been the first winner in, I couldn't tell you how long, to lose strokes approaching the green and to have won. He lost .3 on the week and ended up finishing solo second. He gained 2.3. Tie for second. Tie for second, sorry, yeah. And because uh, there was a 1,000 people at second, it seemed like. What a playoff that would have been. Seemed if, like those greens were pretty small. They were. They did, yeah. What did you think of Palmetto? I, I thought it was all right. Congaree is the course. Con- Congaree, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, sorry. Uh, I kind of liked it. You know, it, I like kind of the hard pan. Once you get in the trees, it adds another element to it. It's not necessarily pine straw or rough like we're norm- normally seeing. So it's kind of allowing guys to kind of spin some punch shots out of the trees like we saw from Higo. Uh, was able to spin that shot even though he's hitting a little punch shot, kind of hit the low nipper. Um, you know, I, I, I really liked it. And clearly, uh, another guy, before we start talking about the U.S. Open, Tied for 10th at 8 under yesterday. I mean, was in position to win this tournament after the great start he had. He was 4 under uh, coming into number 16 and made triple on 16. Dustin Johnson, T-Dub, this week had some really solid stats, was positive in every category, strokes gained. I think that's a really good sign leading up to the U.S. Open. Maybe the best thing that could have happened to him if he wins this week and kind of backdoors a playoff then has to spin, you know, uh, it, that would have been a you know two-man playoff, could have spent the rest of the night there that doesn't get to Tory until the next day and everything. So what I'm saying is Dustin Johnson's sneaky playing some better golf right now. Yeah, you, you look at the analytics for last week. I mean, he like you said, saying positive and everything. Um, the lowest he was in was around the green, and that's .48. So he almost gained half a stroke. In every category. Every category. And so that's playing some good golf. One thing to note and one thing that I may end up hindering DJ this week is that you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of experience at Tory because a lot of times he's playing across the pond at, right. at Saudi in, in those tournaments. So, I don't know if... Now, if, is Tory even comparable during a U.S. Open to the regular tour event? Would you I, think it helps you or hurts you? I, I would say, well, one thing I want to make clear about Tory, you know, you play three rounds in the south, one on the north. I'm so talking about a, the south course. Of course, yeah. of course, yes. And I would say that... They obviously will set it up differently because, like we saw when Tiger and Rocco, they were the only two players under par in 2008 right. when they went into the playoff at one under. And so, I mean, we've seen what Patrick Creed won by six strokes, but he was 15 under, 14 under, whatever it was right. this year. And all so, I'm, all I'm saying, T Dub, is we've seen it in times like when OSU had the national championship at Carson is the one that comes to mind for me. When they grow up the rough, and then guys are used to being able to miss in some spots that they aren't allowed to miss in anymore. Yeah, no, no, it's it's a very good point, and I I think that a lot of you know because Tory is built a specific you know it's it's long it's at sea level so there's really you know you're gonna make the rough longer but you can't you can't get around having to hit long irons into par fours although Rocco in 2008. You know, uh, he wasn't the longest off the tee. Oh, you're right. You're right. I mean, it's I, I'm looking at more along the lines of a, a broad spectrum, and, right. and, and even look at look at some of the guys that were. I got 2008 pulled up right here. Um, you know, Lee Westwood. Um, Robert Carlson was actually an was he an amateur? That's a how high right there, Robert Carlson. Robert Carlson. Yeah, he. I'll he, look that he, up he right now. Good. Yeah, we could do that. Uh, Miguel Angel was sixth. Uh, D. 
DJ Trahan was four. John Merrick, uh, uh, Carl Peterson, um, Eric Axley, Joe Ogilvy. So, I mean, yeah, your point's made, Sam, about um, the fact that, you know, it's not necessarily a bomber's course. And so I think that to, to, to the point you're making earlier about guys that play well, that what I'm going to say is, is that I don't think that every single player who normally plays well at Torrey is going to just light it up this week because it is a different setup. But I do think that the guys that traditionally play well, you're looking at uh, your Finau. Finau always plays well there. Woodland always plays well there. Um, Reed always plays well. Rom obviously always plays yep. well there. And I think that those are all guys who – I think not only set up well for um, for Tory, but they also set up well for for U.S. Open play because they're long and someone like Reed who plays well can get up and down from a garbage can. Yeah, know, so. exactly. Hey, I'll let you guess for Colby. So you get two guesses on Robert Carlson. How high? Uh, I will guess. I'll guess two of them. I will say twelve. Who's that for? For you or for Colby? Uh, I will say that's for Colby. Okay. It'll go high, and then I'll go 17 for Carl. I'll go okay, 17. you know, Colby actually wins this one. Yeah, uh, Robert Carlson, after the Alfred Dunhill Links Championship in 2008, was up to eighth in the world. That's really impressive from a guy that you wouldn't have thought that cracked the top ten. We talked about other guys uh, in the past on the how high were they in the official world golf ranking not cracking the top 10. Robert Carlson is one of those guys that got all the way into single digits. Yeah, and you you, you see it every once in a while. You know, some guys will, will catch on for him. And Carlson played a lot of good golf, and we saw a little bit of him up, up at Southern, Sam, and he still, he still got the game. So, yep. I mean, it uh, – it just goes to show a testament. But, yeah, I mean, he like I said, he finished fourth here in, in 2008. And so, you know, like I said, to your point, Sam, I think that this – I think it will be a more open tournament than it is traditionally at the Farmers because yep. there's kind of uh, – it kind of narrows the field more, which you would think would be the opposite for a U.S. Open. But I don't think that that's the case this week. I think that the, I think there's more people that could win this U.S. Open than that could win the Farmers when it's traditionally held. I agree. How about we do this, T-Dub? Let's give a shout-out to uh, – uh, the the guys on the Corn Ferry Tour real quick, and then we'll dive in after the break uh, to some more U.S. Open stuff. First, uh, I got to give you a shout-out. I just looked at our DraftKings, and you finished in the money this week in second place in DraftKings. Uh, you didn't even have uh, your guy Higo in your DraftKings lineup, but you had him in the one-and-done, you know. And so you had you had Terrell Hatton, Sung J.M., Alex Noren, Nick Taylor – uh, Mark Hubbard, and then John Pack, who shot eight over. So John Pack, not off to a great start uh, in his professional career. However, Austin Eckro, great start on the Corn Ferry Tour. And then our, another guy from Oklahoma, Max McGreevy, played well. Yeah, yeah. Um, that uh, Max's third place finish moved him up to, to 13th. And, you know, to put a little bit into perspective, because we've been talking about the PJ Tour U for so long, Eckroat finished uh, tied for 7th, I believe, right? Yep. Sam? Tied for 7th. And so that got him 90 points, so that he is... 18 uh, under. 18 Get under. you tied for 7th. God, I mean, what do you got to do anymore now? I mean, you, just, <laughs> you, know, you party every hole you play, uh, tee it up on. Um, Eckroat, that, that finish put Eckroat in 173rd. So, I mean, and we're talking... Top 25 after this will get your card, but then they'll be able to get exemptions into the final three um, I will three say events. I was out at Oak Tree National last week, and and uh, and Austin Eckro was out, out there playing some great golf. I texted you and said, man, Eckro is playing really well right now. He was out there playing with some other great players, and you know I think that his game is so tailored to being a great professional golfer, and I've told people this. He was a little bit overshadowed because he was younger, uh, and, and, and he did 
didn't leave college at the same time that Wolf and Hovland did. But Ekro is, I'm not kidding, and I'm not trying to over-exaggerate. This is not a hyperbole. He is just as talented as, as those guys, and he will have a great professional career. And I would be surprised if we don't see him uh, do something to the likes, maybe not to the heights of what Will Zalatoris did, but to the to the kind of same extent, maybe get a sponsor's exemption and then compete in a, in a PGA tournament. You know, I, like I said, I've only watched him play a handful of rounds, but he seems like Morikawa in the sense of he's he's a young kid, but he plays like he's 40, you know, where he, he manages the course so well. He's I remember watching him on at the PGA champion or at uh, PGA, um, the uh, Big 12 championships at Prairie Dunes. He makes that long putt on 16, so you know that he's got the minerals to be able to hit the shots down the stretch. And it just seems like that he plays really smart golf. And, yeah. I, you know, it seemed, he seemed to put himself in, in good spots. He, he's got a really good golf swing. I mean, one of the – Best putting strokes I've he ever does, seen. He does manage his game well, and that's one of the places where he's matured ever since high school and college at the start of college. You know, I, I've seen his game progress to where he's always kind of had length, even though he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's kind of has more length than Victor, not quite as much length as as, uh, as Wolf, but, you know, his iron play is where he is just elite. His He has great iron play, always a great ball striker, and then, you know, one, and he's rolling in putts, and he's, you know, a fearless putter out there. I, I don't see him uh, ever really going into some massive slump where we see him kind of fall off the face of the earth. I, I see him more as a hovlin you know, in my opinion. but And then Max McGreevy, right, T-Dub? Oh, yeah. I mean, this, um, Max has been playing stellar golf, and, you know, he moving up to, to 13th is is huge just because I think there's six six events now, maybe seven, um, some, somewhere along those lines left this week. Um, this week, um, the, the Corn Ferry will be up at the Wichita Open in Crestview, which is a course that I'm sure Max and Taylor have played quite a few times. Mm-hmm. And so – and. I'm knowing both of their games, I think both of those – I think that course suits both of their games very well. Kind of a classic course, tree-lined, yep. that area. And so I, I know they've got a lot of experience on courses like that. So I think this is a week that – and even Ekro too. I think this is a week that the Oklahoma boys can shine on the Corn Ferry. Because no doubt. I, I think it's a course that suits a lot of their games. No doubt. And give people a little update on, on the standings for the Corn Ferry Tour. Obviously, the top 25 get through uh, to the PGA Tour. Uh, Austin Ekro, obviously, with the great start, that's not going to hurt him but you know he's off to a kind of a late start for this corn fairy season so he's gonna have to throw some wins in there if he wants to get through after this year uh you know so it'll be kind of interesting to watch his uh career but uh with max mcgreevy and taylor moore they both have really really great shots of getting their pga tour card i think you know, Max might already have it locked up. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see at how, because currently Max is in 13th. He has um, uh, 1,617 points, and then um, next best is at 25th is um, 1,144. So um, about 500-point difference. So you would think that that's pretty much secure. Our boy Taylor Moore wasn't able to get to the weekend, but he's uh, currently still in 20th. That's good. And And to put into perspective here, the top twenty, if you the top twenty five after the next six or seven events, they lock up their tour cards. Right. That is secure. Um, these guys can still play the extra playoff events um, or whatever they're calling it. And explain uh, the finals to the, the finals. The finals. That's what it's called. So the finals. So these guys can even if they make the top twenty five, they can play the finals if they want because 
there's a difference in status between finishing first and finishing fifth and finishing 15th. Or there, there's, some, there's a difference in status once you get your card. Correct. Yeah, you're, you're, you're exempt through so many what they call reshuffles in yep. a sense. And so um, basically the higher in the standings you are, the more chance you have to play bad. So and to just be able to, to give it into perspective of some names that people might know, like like a Rian Gibson might not be able to get into some tournaments that a Victor Hovland would be able to get into. Just Correct. using names that are uh, here re- local. Yeah, so. it's there's a every PGA Tour event has a priority list, so right. you know that's why you know the bigger events that not even are invitationals that a lot of big players want to play in. It's harder for some lower exempt players. Just to because get you're in. a PGA Tour player doesn't mean you can get in any tournament you want. And that's why the uh, the two year the winning the event is so important because that two year exemption puts you in a higher category on the priority status. And to be clear, we're not just talking about WGCs. We're talking about normal PGA Tour. Exactly. Events. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. There's if, if anyone who looks at the field on a regular PJ Tour event, you could scroll through the list of a, a hundred alternates, and that's because of that priority rankings. But, you know, for someone like Eckert, I think for him, trying to get into the top 25, he'll only, he'll only be able to do that if he wins within the next few weeks. But the cutoff is 75. So the top 75 will be able to go to the uh, Corn Ferry Finals, which is also when the, uh, t- um, like, 126 through 175 on the FedEx Cup will also play these events as well. This is kind of the new era of Q School, in a sense, is right. these last three. Um, this, is when, corn- this is why we say it's a lot easier to stay on the PGA Tour than it is to get onto the PGA Tour. Yeah, because you are grinding out. I mean, these next three weeks are, are so big, or those three weeks are so big, but that's also why it's so big to get into that top 25 because, you know, like right now, Curtis Thompson, who I believe is Lexi Thompson's brother, yep. um, is is sitting at 26th. And, you know, if he's not – the difference between 25th and 26th is so monumental mm-hmm. because he doesn't have that guaranteed tour card and there's only 30-something points differentiating him. So, I mean, there's but so much – if he plays well in the finals, he could uh, – If you play well in the finals, then you get bummed up because yep. they give an additional 25 cards after that. So, they'll right. give – but at the same time, you're also competing against – the the, the 50, guys that are already in yeah the and the guys who just came off of playing off the a PGA tour a full season on the PGA tour so I mean yeah. it's that's, that, that's talk what, about a stressful week that's no something doubt. that I would never want to do no <laughs> doubt and and then also too and not too long we'll have we'll be talking a lot about the uh, the Wyndham Championship was the which is the last tournament before the uh, the FedEx uh, Cup playoff starts which is what will determine the other how many ever players that will get to play in the Corn Ferry Finals so i mean there's there's a lot of metrics that we're going to be looking into um, coming up with uh, with this tournament yeah so i say after the break we're going to just dive into some you know US Open stuff we, we might talk some 2008 US Open uh, we'll talk a little bit um, about some Tiger stuff, maybe, because since Tiger was the last one to win at Tory in the U.S. Open, we'll talk some Patrick Reed. He's always polarizing. Uh, we'll talk some DJ, Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepka, all the picks uh, that you might want. We're not giving our picks yet today. We'll give them out tomorrow. But uh, we will have all the U.S. Open stuff right here after the break. Uh, hey, do me a favor. Go on to Twitter. Uh, follow us at the 73rd Hole. Instagram, follow us at 73rd Hole. We got some great content on there. Uh, everyone seems to be uh, liking that. And, and, and tweet at me. Give us a, give us a little... Uh, 
you know, tell us what you think about some 73rd hole merchandise. I think this week we might be giving out uh, some 73rd hole merchandise to some of our Twitter followers. So go uh, go follow us and then uh, subscribe to the podcast, and that, that will be how uh, you entered that draw. So uh, let us know what you think about all of that. Go to golfoklahoma.org. Get all of your uh, information at golfoklahoma.org. As far as local golf goes around the state, we obviously were at the Taylor more uh, uh, junior boys championship last week and Andrew Goodman not only won the stroke play portion of that tournament but I got to give a shout out uh, to CHA's Andrew Goodman for winning the match play portion of that as well going to OU OU commit he's going to be a big time player one three and two in the finals uh, so that is really impressive and so huge shout out to him uh, we will have more stuff coming up after the break here on the 73rd hole the official podcast of golf Oklahoma when something the size of a golf ball hits your roof you need to call McRae roofing McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. Westwood's going to come up short. One last bullet for Rocco Mediate to try to avoid. Expect anything different? Rocco, you've got Tiger for 18 holes tomorrow. And that was the 2008 U.S. Open on Sunday when Tiger made the winning putt from about 15 feet. It rumbled and bumbled and stumbled and dropped in the right lip, and then we got absolute electricity in that moment. I got goosebumps just watching that uh, just now, and then the great call by Jim Nance. Rocco, you've got Tiger Woods for 18. He was actually wrong. He had him for 19 holes the next day uh, when Rocco and Tiger went into that playoff. But uh, that was the last time the U.S. Open was at Torrey Pines. So, T-Dub, let's get into the U.S. Open a little bit. That was absolutely electric. Do you remember where you were when Tiger made that putt? I was just about to ask you the same thing. Where were you at? You know what? You know what's really funny? I remember it to this day. I got done playing a practice round at Rose Creek because I was playing the um, an OJGT at Rose Creek the, yep. uh, Monday, Tuesday. And I was got done and I was at my grandma's house watching it and on her couch and I screamed so loud when he made the putt. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and I, re- I remember to this day I had an early tea time luckily um, I got done playing at Rose Creek, and as soon as I got done, they were on 18 hitting their uh, their 
essentially their birdie or par putts, whatever it was, too, for both of them to go to the 19th hole. So, you know, most of the time, Sam, we joke whenever there's a playoff and say that we have a 73rd hole this week. We had 91 holes yeah. that week. And I think that's something that goes overlooked whenever we talk about Tiger's uh, win that year is that he played 91 holes on a broken ACL and all what everything else that he had. It, it's just purely – Unbelievable stuff. And you know what, Sam? This this is something I just thought about. If we have a playoff this year at Torrey and it's two freaking holes, I'm going to be so mad. I yeah. mean, it's just going to set me back so much because this one of the most legendary tournaments ever was from an, a 19-hole playoff, essentially. And now we're going to have some BS, two. I wonder what two holes they'll pick even. What are they going to do, 17 and 18, 10 and 18? I guess. Or do you do just 18 twice? That would be so dumb. I don't know. Well, I just like sudden death. I mean, I, I, that's what it, that's what it I didn't to mind. Be. I didn't mind the uh, you know eighteen hole playoff, but you know, imagine how electric it would have been if they just went into a sudden death playoff right there, Tiger versus Rocco. I wonder if there. What, do you think the result would put, could have potentially been any different? It definitely but, would have been in Rocco's favor to only play one hole instead of eighteen or I, nineteen. I guess, but. I mean, he did take him 19 holes. People yeah. forget that. I mean, Tiger and Rocco were battling it out on that Monday. I think for ratings, you definitely do the sudden death playoff because people aren't going to care as much on the Monday. Now, with the Tiger and Rocco situation, obviously they cared because it was Tiger Woods uh, versus Rocco Mediate. But, you know, uh, when I think about a sudden death playoff coming up right after that, I almost would have rather seen that in 2008. Well, you know, one thing that I'll, I'll mention before, because I want to get a little bit more in the playoff thing, is that we left that little clip in there. Westwood had a 20-something footer to get into that playoff, what, and we consider him as one of maybe the best player to not have a major championship. The original sneaky choke just hit it into the <laughs> ice plan on 13, right? And then uh, kind of, you know, had a great shot coming down the stretch there. That was smaller Westwood. He was a little skinnier back then and wasn't as big and beefy as he is now. But what do, what do you think about Westwood's chances this week? Do you, he's played some good golf this year. Man, he has. He has. And, and obviously, he, he likes the course, but who – I mean, who, who knows? knows? Who who knows with him? It, it's, he's one of the few players to he better have, won have his in, wife on the bag. That's true. Yeah, whenever he went away from his wife, that's when he started to to really play like really. That's a good lesson, boys. Yeah, <laughs> but is, is the lesson to keep the wife on the bag or to never let the wife on the bag? No, the lesson is to never go away from the wife. It'll just turn turn bad things. You know, I try to look up Lee Westwood. I punch in Lee Westbrook. I, got, I guess I got <laughs> Russell Westbrook on, 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 on my mind for some reason. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I think that, that that's just another layer just because we talk about how awesome that that tournament was and there's so many elements to it. And that just adds on more to the lore, the fact that uh, uh, Westwood was right there with a chance to win, probably the best player to not have a major, and for it to be well, – that was the last time it, there was an 18-0 playoff, right? I know they changed it. I'm Numerous pretty sure years it was. later, but I think that was the last one. So I guess if I'm if I'm picking here, you know, being picky, I would say that if there was going to be the last time there was going to be an 18 hole playoff, at least let it be that one because it technically was 19 holes and one of the best ever. But I, I just, I Sam, I just cannot stand the concept of a two hole playoff. And and maybe this year, who knows? Maybe it'll be electric and there'll be five people playing in it. And you know, and that's also something too about a two hole playoff is that. 
you know, let's let's say there's five people that make it, and some guy makes a double or a triple on the first hole. Are they still playing the, the next hole just to hold up play? I mean, you know, that can, I mean, that's stuff that you don't really think about until the moment comes up. And so, I I, I do not like the I do not like the two hole uh, playoff format. At I don't all. understand why tournaments don't just go based off what the Masters does. I mean, the Masters does everything first class, so just. Pattern yourself after Augusta National, in my opinion. It, it, it's whenever you're looking at something to copy, that's a hard thing to want to copy and, and mess up, you know. Because like I you think said, that's they, why they went too, because they didn't want to copy. They didn't want to copy the British Open or the or the Masters or. Well, it seems to fit in order because the PGA is what's th- their three hole. Three hole. Yeah. Right? So that, that so that's the whole. Is the, Go British ahead. Open four, yes. British yeah. Open's four, and then U.S. Open was the last one to put it in at two. And right, it's just it was redundant because <laughs> the it, they're just not trying to copy each other. But it's not really something that you know matters that much. Well, I feel like the sudden death playoff is the way to go. Well, and you know one thing too, Sam, is we talk a lot about the Tom Watson British Open. Remember, he went into a playoff with Stuart Sink and. After two playoff holes, we knew he wasn't going to win, and they had to play two more holes anyway. Yeah. You know, and so these long—I I, don't—I don't know. It, it's a whole different story. I—I I don't mind the three-hole concept just because, like we mentioned on previous shows, you know, whenever you talk about great stretches of holes, what's the first thing that comes to mind? You know, three-hole yeah. stretch. It's like if they did—if they did ever change Augusta to where it was a three-hole playoff, let's play 11, 12, and thirteen. <laughs> that would be electric. You know how electric would that be? You know, and so, but. You know, if you're playing other courses, you know, like like Sawgrass, that they I think they do sudden death, but if they wanted to play 16, 17, 18, that'd be great too. So I think if you're going to do it, you got to do either one or three. This two well, or four thing is dumb, or and now, the logistics just don't allow you to go back to 18. The, but the deal with the three-hole playoff is a lot of times you don't have enough time. It's a very good point. For a son, you don't want to come back at 7 o'clock in the morning and ruin your viewership. That's a very good point. Very good. Because That's probably why Augusta doesn't do it. Because if you look at those winners that have won in playoffs at Augusta, I mean, it's damn near dark. Now, one, one thing that would be interesting is that with this tournament being on the West Coast, which is one of my favorite things, you know, we get that, that late night golf. I love that. It's the prime time golf. Yeah. And, and you know, it gets fairly dark, uh, you know, just like it does here over in California. And so, I mean, it's going to be – on Saturday, because they don't have to worry about playoffs and stuff like that, we'll be watching golf at nine o'clock at night, if not later. And I love so, it. and it's fantastic. And but that also goes to your point, Sam. Of you know, do they they need to try to get things done a little earlier on Sunday, just in case there is a playoff like that? Because like we saw at the U.S. Women's Open, you have a two-hole playoff. There's a very good chance you're going to go to a third hole, if not <laughs> just, more. Just reminded me talking about finishing before dark. Uh, this week at Torrey Pines, if you want to play a drinking game, it'll be the uh, how many times they say marine layer <laughs> oh, <laughs> or, the, Lord. or the fog. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. You, you will be drunk before <laughs> before you see any of the leaders tee off, yeah. tee off if you start if you start on on the weekend. But yeah, there's all kind there's all kinds of great things you could do for that. Um, one thing that um, this is kind of an opposite side note. You know, the coverage is on NBC. I'm interested to see how Azinger does this week on his commentary because it, the reason I bring that up is. Is, is that he's we talk so much rap on him because he brings up that European tour, you know, that kind of thing, and talking about how it's so much less elite. But we just saw Garrick Higo, who had won twice over yeah. there, had some good finishes, come over here, wins on the second start. So what do you think? Do you think Azinger's kind of eating his words now, or do you think he's going to stick by what, what he says? Well, you know, it's hard to with the Higo situation. Now, the one thing that I do like, I like NBC doing it better than I like Fox doing it. That's There's for sure. There's no doubt about yeah, that. I mean, but, however, Fox did do some cool uh, technology stuff. But, 
you know, I, I definitely like uh, having NBC and we'll have Maltby and we all gotta, those guys. We got to keep Joe Buck on football and baseball. Yeah. We, uh, Joe, Buck, Joe Buck's great. I love Joe Buck. But it's just not, it's a, just it's not, not golf. It's golf not is not right. a sport. Yeah, it just doesn't, you know, especially what what did he say the the year – Oh, he got uh, he got uh, Kepka's girlfriend's name wrong. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, that one. And then it, it, it was just really awkward listening to Joe Buck uh, talk through the DJ three putt as well. Oh well, yes, at Chambers uh, Bay, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, exactly. And like it was weird because he because in football games, you know, he gets so excited and he acts <laughs> like a like a. Nineteen sixties golf commentator when he's in there, you know. I think it, it was. It was like, and Jordan Spieth wins the U.S. Open. Yeah, you know? or, and it's like DJ just three putted to lose the U.S. from Open. twelve feet, which never happens. It's yeah. like the most shocking thing that could have happened in the tournament, yeah. and he just acts like it's no big deal. So uh, <laughs> the covered side of it, I completely don't agree get with me these. wrong. I love me some Joe Buck and football. I love Joe Buck and oh, baseball. I, he's the, the World best. Series. He's the, yeah, I, yeah. I love it. And yeah. I, I don't like watching baseball, but I like listening to Joe Buck talk. And I. Uh, and I like on, on another podcast, you know, he, he's visited, you know, some barstool podcasts and stuff. Seems like a good guy, but I just don't like uh, him commentating on golf. Well, it'd be like, I mean, if we tried to go commentate soccer or hockey or, or even baseball or football, exactly. we wouldn't be like, we wouldn't, if we did a podcast on baseball or football, we don't have the insight. We might be a little better at football. Than Maybe. Some, Maybe so. <laughs> Especially since your Eagles suck so bad and we could keep talking about that. But uh, I... I you know, Sam. One thing I want to I want to get into a little bit is kind of what you mentioned earlier about because we don't see this very often where you have a traditional tour stop, right? Right. That gets a major held there. You know, even um, like when you were on with Steely just a second ago, you were talking about municipals where they get played. Like for example, mm-hmm. Bethpage Black here at Tory, um, <laughs> yeah. TBC Harding Park. Well, he, you know, Steely asked the question. He goes, "What do you think about you know Muni's being in the U.S. Open rotation?" I go, "Steelman, don't get it twisted. This is not your Lincoln Park or Hefner South or whatever. This is there's no sign on the first tee at Hefner South saying you know elite players only. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a difference between you know your your sixty three hundred Muni and your Bethpage, but and your courses that you could pay to play on you know there, there's yeah. a difference there so but know, i like it i like the idea of it i love it i love it i think i think it's great especially for the u.s open which is you know we got local qualifiers that made it we got players like ricky fowler jason day um ian poulter some big names that aren't even in the field i think it's really cool that you can you know go to these courses and t- if you pay to play these courses you're able to get on and and the cool stories that you get especially with like beth page black of like people sleeping in the parking lot waiting for the uh tea sheet to open up that, that's really cool because it shows how much people love golf yeah and i think correct me if i'm wrong i think beth page is like they don't accept tea times i believe it's really, isn't it just like first come first exactly serve that's that what morning? that's why the people sleep in their cars just right. like that you know it's kind of like when the when the new gaming system comes out you stay outside the gaming store for three days or whatever it is <laughs> <laughs> the jordan lines or whatever. Yeah, the jordan shoes yeah, yeah that kind of thing and so i don't know sam i want to get your your take on that because um, just of a, being a tour stop because very rarely do we do we see this. I mean, right. you know, nor, like Kiowa, they don't have a tour event there. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the Open Championship, there may be, um, besides the exception of St. Andrews and Carnoustie where they have the um, the Dunhill links. Um, right. And like here we have the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, that kind of thing. So, I mean, there, there's, there's a few here or there, but what are your I, – I, I just want to dive more into that because you brought up the point, like you said, of will it – 
be diff will it be hurtful or beneficial to people that play well there? I mean, just kind of dive a little bit more into your take on well, that. Well, I, I don't know because it can go both ways. First, you can feel comfortable off some tee shots that uh, uh, over the years, I think that you don't know the course like the back of your hand until you've at least played it 10 to 15 times. So that will necess- that will help you. But necessarily, you know, some places where you can get away with a miss when the rough isn't a, isn't as up or you know the greens aren't as firm or obviously the USGA is famous for getting it right on the edge um, of playable so you know I don't necessarily know if it helps you or hurts you because you might feel comfortable on a tee shot and that's why and it might end up hurting you you know and that's why you know these guys in the first Monday through Wednesday are going to have to really bear down and figure out the best places to play this course. The famous Payne story, uh, Payne Stewart story of, you know, Pinehurst when he wrote down big X's on places that he couldn't miss at Pinehurst and ended up and the famous, you know, putt on 18 right before uh, he passed away tragically, you know? And so when he beat Phil Mickelson and gave him the hug. And so basically you know, there's different places that you can miss on a U.S. Open setup that is the exact same golf course. So it, it's not going to be the same golf course that we see uh, at Torrey Pines in the regular tour event. Let me ask you this, because because you brought up a great point about the USGA, and, and I want to dive even extra into that about how they set up the, uh, the golf course, because cause their job is fairly hard, right? Because in the sense of if you get too far on the edge of unplayable, you're going to have all your players complaining all day and no one's going to have any fun. Everyone's going to shoot 10 over par. Mm-hmm. But you have your Aaron Hills and some of your other examples to where goes guys go down and shoot 18, 20 under, and that's no fun to watch. I mean, we don't want that, you know, because we want it to be around that, I don't know, a couple unders, probably a fairly decent under um, open score. I still I'm, think that's still too high. I think that the USGA – got a great example on how to set up a golf course by Kiowa Island and the PGA of America. I think the PGA of America, they're the only other one in the U.S. that travels around and to a different spot every year. And I feel like every year the PGA sets up their courses a lot better than the U.S. Open does. Now, what I'm saying is the U.S. Open is obviously trying to have a higher winning score, right? But what I'm saying is, you can do that without making the course unplayable in certain situations like we saw at, at Shinnecock both times. It's been at Shinnecock, <laughs> yeah. really. And then, um, you know, I, I just love how Kia was set up. It was hard enough to where we saw big swings on the front nine. But the reason why we saw big swings is because guys were able to make birdies, too. I don't just want to see carnage necessarily as a golf fan. It might make me feel a little better about myself. But to watch these guys really display their talents, I would like the winning score to be like 8 to 12 under. Yeah, and, and you know, and here's a you know little caveat here. You know, like, for example, last U.S. Open, Bryson won by six shots. He shot six under. Next best is even par. So then – And you, you and, uh, real quick, what I, I just want to explain. When I say I want the winning score to be 8 to 12 under, you know, when the winning score is 8 to 12 under, that doesn't necessarily mean the course played easy. You have the majority of the field that's over par. Yeah, I, right? I, I think the better would be what is the field average. Right, right. And so basically, the, I think the USGA looks too much at the winning score instead of the field average. And I think that they would have more exciting tournaments if, you know, they maybe made it a little more playable in some spots and maybe just didn't beat these guys up to the ground. I mean, I think that, you know, 
when we talk about the USGA, I, I think that it's hurt them a lot more than it's helped them in some tournaments. I mean, even look at the 2008 US Open. You don't necessarily get the absolute best players at the time. You get the guys that are able to hit fairways, hit greens, make pars, such as your Rocco mediates. You know, obviously Tiger won that tournament, but I feel like in the U.S. Open, you get guys like Lucas Glover. You get some other guys that are able to win and 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 compete in the U.S. Open that aren't necessarily guys that can go out and shoot a 65 on a really tough course because it's so unplayable that guys can't really you know, go super low like that. Yeah, and, and to your point earlier, I saw this on Instagram, and I'm, I'm, I'll post this later on after our show. Um, this was a stat that uh, Justin Ray tweeted out. From August 2007 through the 2008 U.S. Open, Tiger played 11 tournaments worldwide. World, world, worldwide. Sorry, <laughs> let, let me get that out right. Worldwide. Say that 100 times in a row. Um, he won eight of those 11. Then he finished second, tied second, and fifth in the other three. Of the 1,227 players that played against him, seven beat him during that stretch. Wow. So that goes There's to show. so many Tiger stats. Oh, it's unbelievable. But that goes to show that he was playing at such an elite level that he could go out and win this tournament with no ACL. I mean, that it's just unbelievable. And so here, here's here's the main one of the main questions I want to ask you, Sam, about, okay. about the setup is that you would think that whenever greens get faster and firmer, you have less pin locations, right? Right. That's kind of the premise. Yeah. So do you think that there will be less pin locations for this tournament than there are traditionally at the Farmers? Yes and no. Well, I mean, yeah, I would assume so. But at the same time, you got to factor in where these guys are hitting from. So, like, you know, in at the Farmers, you might be able to hold a green out of the rough where you can't hold the green out of the – U.S. Open style rough. So you got to factor that in as well, not just the putting on the green, you know, not just while you're on the green. It's shots coming into the green as well. And obviously, I would assume they would be firmer and faster uh, for the U.S. Open. So you got to factor that in. Um, however, you know, this um, Poe grass that they have on the greens, it you can't, like, it's going to grow during the day and it's going to get bumpy no matter what. And so we're going to see that as a factor um, we, we've seen it every time at Torrey Pines, whether it's the Farmers or the 2008 U.S. Open, where guys are struggling on the greens coming down the stretch because they get the worst of all the spike marks. Now you're able to type down, tap down spike marks, but you know they're still going to be kind of bumpy. The pose going to grow up. It's going to go different directions than you think it's going to go. Um, so on the greens, I think that it's pretty much fair for everybody and it's going to be similar to the farmers because the weather there is just prime for fast greens right yeah and and also too you know let's put it into perspective you know this tournament's in june and the farmers is in but it's late not January. that much different out there it's it's, it's not like oklahoma different yeah. you know that kind of thing but it will be a slight a slightly different I think the, the main ahead. the main difference will be for the rough I, I i completely agree and hopefully they narrowed uh, some of the fairways i remember um when phil played or, or whenever they had the u.s open at pebble beach phil had mentioned that when he played the pro-am that year which was a few months before so many of the fairways were more narrow during the pro-am than they were the year before because they were getting ready for the u.s open and the reason i brought up the pin locations thing sam is because I think that when the greens get firmer and faster like that, you do have less pin locations, which I think helps the players who have played there more multiple times because there's less positions that can be on the green. I think the main difference will be, like, what days they put them there. For example, you know, the, the traditional 18 pin at Torrey is 
uh, front left right over the water. And during the 2008 U.S. Open, that's where it was on the third round. And on the fourth round, when Tiger made his famous putt, it was over on the right side. So I think that you may see a little bit of day change um, for the pins, but... You know, the reason I brought up that, that pin location thing is because I think that there would be less pins that they'll be able to use out there, which I think can, can actually will give a little bit more benefit to the players that have played well there before. Or, and let me rephrase, who have at least putted well there before. But you make a really good point, Sam, about the POA going up because, you know, the one main difference that we mentioned about the time is daylight savings. So now it right. gets dark so much later, and with primetime golf, you've got two two and a half more hours essentially of daylight. That's two and a half more hours of that POA growing. I mean, that's that's not stuff you want a, a three-footer that you need to make to to have. And so I think that that'll, that'll play a lot to do with it. But I, I think the one of the biggest storylines going into it will be the course setup because are they going to set it up to where you're going to have 20 guys under par or are you going to set it up to where you have two guys under par? Right, and I think that Tory kind of sets up that it might be a little more fun if they're able to make some birdies. Now, when we saw the uh, 2008 U.S. Open, um, you know, Tiger was only at one under par tied with Rocco Mediate. They were the only two guys under par, and that's when they went into the playoff. It kind of set up perfect uh, for what the USGA wants. So it's just going to come all the way down. And do you think that maybe Mike Davis has one last say? This is his last tournament that he's running, isn't last it? Last U.S. Open. Yeah, last U.S. Open, yes. Um, that'd be interesting. Is it one of those deals where does he want to go out with like having a pristine <laughs> Built, performance? These guys will remember me. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Yeah, right? It's, I mean, you could burn up the greens if you wanted to um, and just bake it out. I mean, it kind of was baked out in 2008. Um, but that that is another interesting point that I hadn't thought about with it being – I mean, how many how many U.S. Opens has Mike Davis done? I mean, that'd be something interesting to look up. And yeah. so, I mean, look, look, it, look that up. Well, I I, I want to mention this to the listeners. Um, if you haven't read this book, it's Are You Kidding Me? The Epic Battle Between Rocco Mediate and Tiger Woods for the 2008 U.S. Open by the great John Feinstein. And he really dives in uh, with Rocco about the whole mindset of Rocco Mediate throughout that week. It was really cool to to read. I've, I've read it numerous times over the years. Um, but Rocco, you know, he was put in that situation where he's the underdog and normally America roots for the underdog, but you're going up against America's hero and Tiger Woods. Um, so it, it was a really interesting read. You can, I'm looking right now on Google uh, and Amazon. You can get it for like seven ninety nine uh, on Amazon. That's a great read for any golf fan. I mean, I, I think that that tournament is just timeless, even though it's 2021. Uh, that 2008 U.S. Open, I, that's one that I will definitely tell my kids about. Oh, there's no doubt about that. It says right here, as the uh, Senior Director of Rules and Competitions, Davis was charged with conducting the 13 national championships and two uh, state team conducted. <laughs> Why did it make it sound like he was going to jail for something? He was charged with conducting? Yeah, that's what it said. <laughs> that is a very interesting way to phrase it. I didn't even realize that to us. But he came Executive Director in, uh, 2011 and assumed the chief executive officer in 2016. So I know he was doing tournaments back in 2011. So I think that's probably about where he started. And it says in 1997, he was named the U.S. Open Championship Director responsible for managing and then assumed the senior director in 2005. There we go. So the answer is 2005. So really every tournament since probably then has probably been a Mike Davis deal. And so, yeah, I mean, you make a great point, Sam. What What is he going to want to go out on? What? How right. does he want his last year? U.S. Open to be remembered by. And 
I think that it'll be maybe one of those deals where he tries to set it up tough, and we might have a Bryson-esque show where someone goes out and wins by five or six, where it's the, – the winning score is a lot better than the average score is. I think that'll be something that we see this week. Yeah, and looking at the past U.S. Open winners, I mean, do you think that making it as hard as possible gets the best winner every year? I think that – the different the, the the whole thing about making a course hard is is it is it, what's the difference between hard and fair right because or, or unfair I guess is I, the way to phrase it really I mean I'm talking about you know how the course might you know not necessarily get the guy that's playing the best golf that week because he might have one blow up hole right but if you look at these past winners you have Bryson DeChambeau now obviously there wasn't a U.S. Open in 2020 right. And so that Bryson DeChambeau is twenty twenty one technically, right? Yeah, it, it was in the twenty twenty one season. Right, that's right. what his points counted exactly. for, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, then Gary Woodland, and then Brooks Kepka, Brooks Kepka, DJ Spieth, Keimer when he was playing great, Rose Simpson, Rory, and then Graham McDowell, Lucas Glover, Angel Cabrera. Obviously, I'm skipping Tiger Woods, Jeff Ogilvy, Michael Campbell, Retief Goosen. You know, it, so basically, what I'm saying is it's kind of a mix between great players and guys that just just kind of got it around that week. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, is that one thing that makes – do you think that makes the U.S. Open good or bad in that aspect? I don't know. It depends on what your opinion is. That's It's a good – I think that because at the same time, you know, some of those guys that played – like, for example, even when Woodland won. I mean, I remember watching um, – he had so many great shots coming down the stretch. You know, it's probably uh, the most clutch chip shot of all time. Having off to chip of the off the green. I mean, that's uh, – <laughs> I mean, that is – one of the most nervy chip shots I've ever seen a guy have to hit coming down the stretch of the U.S. Open, and you're having to hit off that tide of a lie, well, real, and he just pulled it off tremendously. Real, real quick off-topic thing. Have you ever seen someone chip off of a green and take, like, a huge divot? No. I haven't either. No. It's I, because the bounce of the wedge. Yeah, it won't, unless you literally uh, just purposely drive I'm the leading edge. Into- pe- <laughs> I am not telling people to go hit chip shots off their – green at their local club however if you do look up james o on instagram great follow for short game tips he teaches people to get on the tight fringe of the green and and learn how to use the bounce of your wedge and and kind of you know learn how to feel comfortable breaking that left wrist now there's a lot of different ways to chip obviously phil mickelson is more hinge and hold but i think that it would help a lot of amateurs to be able to learn how to use the bounce of their wedge and the way you do that is learning how to hit off really tight lies uh like greens or fringes yeah well and i think to your point there sam it's really the most important is that First, you learn how to use the bounce, and then you learn when to use the bounce. Right. Because, you know, you're playing, like, for example, around Oklahoma, you know, you'll get some You don't have to use it that much. No. Like, mo- most players around here use really low bounce wedges. Right. You know? Right. And so, because you don't have to get underneath the ball, or a lot of times when you get on firm ground, you hit behind it, the club just bounces right. into it. Well, and I then, mean, growing up, T-Dub, I mean, you were probably like me, putting it putting the ball back in your stance and just kind of driving it into the ground. Yeah, it, it was the hinge and hold method right. because if you tried to use the bounce, you... Well, we also grew up on Bermuda grass. Very, very good point. And so these are all things that... And I believe even even TG had alluded to it whenever he was on with us about yep. how Roger Cleveland had made him a wedge because of his specific right. way he released it. And so, I mean, yeah, that's a great tip for all of our listeners. Like I said, don't go out to your local putting green or wherever and try to hit it off. But, but go maybe go try t- to find some like hard pan or something like that. Hard pan dirt. You know what, and I, I may not even recommend this, but if you have an old wedge that you don't use anymore, 
Go hit some balls off a cart path. Yeah. I think that's a good way. because no, Because it, it gets you the shallow, the ball. Don't, don't, do, don't go take your brand new Vokey out there. But if you're it. doing it the right way, you'll realize that you're not really hurting the wedge whatsoever. No, I mean, you're barely grazing it. Yeah. And one of the best tips I ever heard to hit wedges like that was just feel like you're bottom grooving it. You almost mm-hmm. have to purposely thin it because then it just rides up the face. Yeah. And, st- and, you know, I think that's a good segue into the setup because if they have the, the rough grown up like it is because – you don't see it at a lot of regular tour events where guys are chipping out to 80 yards and having to get up and down. You know, most right. of the time they're able to get it up in a greenside bunker or something like that. So I think this is one of the few weeks on tour where 75 to 125 yard may be not the most important part of play, but it's definitely going to play a huge part because, like you mentioned, Sam, those grinders out there, a, a par in the middle of a round when you get up and down from 100 yards could mean everything. Right. And it could keep your momentum going so much. And that'll be something to see. And also, too, like you mentioned earlier, with people making doubles, shooting themselves out of the tournament, if you make a double or a triple, first of all, you want to try to minimize that and make a bogey. But let's say you do make a big number. How do you rebound after that? Do you do right. what, Do you do what DJ did this last week and be mad that you didn't birdie 15 and then, and then triple, triple 16? 16, yeah. or do you persevere and try to get it in and know that even par is going to be a good score? No, that's a good point. And then, T-Dub, I wanted to ask you about – the U.S. Open week is the we have the perfect opportunity to talk about dialing it back because I think that the guys that are the favorites this week are the guys everyone's going to miss fairways is my point the guys that are going to be favored this week are the guys that hit it the farthest and are able to hit shorter clubs into the greens and so like excuse me like this week I think that Bryson DeChambeau is my favorite, and I mean, I'm not trying to spoil the picks for tomorrow, but I can't see a guy that the course fits better than him because he's going to be able to hit every par five and two. He's going to be able to drive it up there on holes like a 14, like a like a you know 12 or whatever, and be able to hit it in the rough even and still put the ball on the green because he's hitting a wedge out of the rough. Now, if you what I'm saying is a guy, let's say a uh, you know, a, a Higo or something like that that isn't necessarily the farthest hitter. He's still going to miss some fairways. And maybe we find a guy this week, such as a Matt Fitzpatrick or whatever, that hits a bunch of fairways and just dominates that way. However, that's really hard to do over a long span of time. Bryson DeChambeau has a bigger, you know, air area, you know, that he's able to miss some shots and still get away with it where necessarily a Matt Fitzpatrick, when we've seen in the past, like a Webb Simpson in the U.S. Open kind of, you know, fairway and green his way to a a trophy, you know, I don't don't necessarily see, uh, I, I think that Bryson DeChambeau has a bigger leeway than a guy like that. So he doesn't have to necessarily play his absolute best golf to win the win the trophy. I, I agree. And I, I think that, for example, I think that with the U.S. Open change in venues has a lot to do with that because a 7,600-yard Tory may be suit a bomber than a course like you played Marion. You know, right. like, like, do you think – you've played Marion. Do you now, think – is would Bryson have a huge advantage if he was played at Marion? <laughs> That's interesting because when they played it last, what was it, in 2010? 2013. That that was when Rose won. 13, right. Well, maybe because they weren't hitting it 350 back then. Like, right? Even in 2013, they weren't hitting it 350. And it's not like every player's hitting it 350 now. You just have your handful. No, but what I'm saying is those handful of guys have a huge advantage on the field. Now, whether you want to say that that's – skill or not skill or they should dial it back because of that 
but what I'm saying is we've come to find out that it's actually the opposite of what we thought, that the U.S. Open, it's actually their biggest advantage because they are able to drive it so far up there, they can still hit it in the rough. We've seen it with even in the past when, you know, in the square groove days of Angel Cabrera, you know, like they he was able to drive it so far up there on courses like Oakmont. But, you know, I, I just really think that if, if a shorter hitter this week, you know, Maybe a Patrick Reed is a is an anomaly because he's able to get it up and down out of, out of a trash can, but I just think that the shorter hitters that are are at a huge disadvantage this week. Well, what do you think would be because, like for example, um, you had mentioned earlier some of the names who had kind of been um, scrambling around, like like for example, Olympic Club or Webb Simpson one's a little mm-hmm. different than Tory is, right? So right, well, how but would, they still I, have the same length of rough. They did. So what what would if you were setting up this tournament, how would you set it up to make it to where these shorter well, hitters maybe had a little bit better cl- chance than than Bryson? Well, I'll answer that in one second. But Webb Simpson, you know, at a, at a club like Olympic, you know, it, he's able to hit eight irons into greens where, you know, these other guys – like, and, and it's kind of a dogleg, kind of tricked-up course where the, the fairways are kind of slanted in the middle of the fairways and everything. We saw it at the U- U.S. Yeah. Women's Open this year. Yeah, you don't have any flat lies out there. No, but what I'm saying is even if he – if even if a Webb Simpson misses the fairway at a, club, at a course like that, he's still able to hit a short enough club where he can hold the greens or at least put it in a semi-playable position. Now, at Torrey, if you hit it in the rough – and I've played Torrey when I played the U.S. Junior World, and the, they have the rough up. I mean, you're not getting close to the green. That's a wedge out because that's that fescue grass. That's super thick or whatever they call it, the kakulia grass, whatever, whatever they call it out there. And it's super thick, and the ball kind of just comes down to the to the bottom. You don't really catch flyers. It's just kind of nasty, you know. And so what I'm saying is if you can drive it up there within 100 yards or 150 yards, you have a way better chance of if you hit it in the rough, you know, 180 yards out. And so – but – you know, if I was setting up the course, I would make some, you know, drivable holes because, you know, if you have some drivable holes and are able to kind of lure some longer players into making some big mistakes, then that that can definitely help the shorter hitters. And then, um, but what I'm saying is the shorter hitters this week really, I would stay away from. Yeah. And, and and I don't know how you set up Tory to to answer your question. You can't set up Tory Pines to favor a shorter hitter, and then the anomalies would be guys like Abe Answer, Patrick Reed, who just have phenomenal short games, or maybe even a, a middle league hitter like Spieth, who just gets it around. You know that kind of thing. But he's a great iron player. So what I'm saying point. is that guys are elite in different areas. I just don't know if you're going to ever see a guy like Jim Furyk or Kevin Kisner compete at Tory. And I might be completely wrong. And, and you know, I the, I am just banking on analytics right now because a guy could go out and hit, you know, 13 of 14 fairways every day and prove me wrong. But the odds of that happening are very slim. Well, and even even to your point, like you said, you don't hit the fairway every – because that's one of the things that people say, oh, well, you hit driver, you can lay back. Well, just because you lay back doesn't mean you're going to hit the fairway. So 
and even these guys like a Matthew Fitzpatrick, someone who doesn't hit it that far, um, if they miss the fairway, they're coming in with four irons as opposed to the eight to nine iron like you had mentioned. And so try to hit a four iron out of rough as opposed to a wedge. I mean, it's I, – th- I promise you, if the rough's anything like it was in 2008, they're not going to be hitting any four irons out of this rough. They might not be hitting any eight irons. They yeah. might be having it sand wedges. Mm-hmm. And so I think from that point – and, you know, we can look back on Bryson at, at Winkfoot. He – he was like, I believe he was seventh that week in distance. So he wasn't even, didn't even necessarily blow the field out. And he was above average in fairways hit. Right. So, you know, he was able to take care of some of the other areas, but that was why he was able to win by six and shots. Where Bryson makes up a lot of his shots that people don't realize is, you know, uh, on par threes, he his approach to green on par threes is really unbelievable. His stats are crazy good on par threes, and I think the reason is because he's hitting shorter clubs. He's in a lot shorter clubs, and, he, and he's yeah. a great putter. He I, really is. He's, now he's become yeah. I mean, went from being DFL when he was side saddling to um to now one of the, a top ten to fifteen putter. And I mean, here's a here's kind of a dark horse. I mean, Sam, you're talking about distance. The South African, uh, who finished 14th last week, uh, will call, I'll probably butcher his last name, Niamber, Niamber, uh, or whatever it is. He averaged like 190-something ball speed this week. Wow. And, I mean, he's – Bryson's ha- uh, um, highest on tour is like 192 or something like that. And so, he was hitting drives of 360, 340, 350. And these balls are carrying this far, too. And, right. And it's – it. No, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that, that, first of all, that's a guy to look out for as someone who could potentially contend or not contend, but at least make the cut. But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, like, for example, we brought up Marion in the sense of there's just certain courses that fit certain games better. And that, that's going to be the same till the end of time. And, you know, what what can you do to, to fix that? And I, I like your point, Sam, of, you know, don't make a, a drivable par four like 330. Make it like 290. Right or three hundred to where those guys are in that betweener range of do they hit three the longer guys do they hit three wood do they hit a long iron you know and give them some versatility to play the hole let them you know if they want to lay up they can lay up I think that's a a really good idea and when you add the long rough to it just because you drive it up by the green doesn't mean you're going to get it up and down and you know who else has great versatility is the spine clinic of Oklahoma City. Go visit Dr. Beecham and Dr. Brawley uh, located on Broadway Extension and Britain in Oklahoma City. You know, even the smallest disorder can range from a simple hitch in your backswing to a complete meltdown on the back nine. I know that we both know that that's true for sure. Oh, it can happen way more often than it should. (laughs) But even when it comes to keeping golfers on the course, the Spine Clinic is offering the highest quality spine spine care in Oklahoma. The Spine Clinic Providers have the best, most up-to-date treatment options in their bag uh, to help tailor treatment plans to each individual's concerns and are determined to make sure no patients ever hear the words, nothing can be done. Uh, you know, Tita, when nothing can be done, that's what they told me when I before I switched to the claw. So uh, <laughs> even, even when it feels like all options have been exhausted, the Spine Clinic will hold out hope. The providers and staff at the Spine Clinic of Oklahoma City are here to use their skills skills and knowledge to help restore you back to a great quality of life. And then there's a disclaimer here at the bottom of this ad read. It says the spine clinic does not guarantee any short game improvements. Now I, Hey, I mean, having being able to practice and uh and practice your short game like you want with a healthy back i mean i i I think that they do offer some short game improvements i tell you what from from someone who's had a bad back myself i promise you one of the most underrated things on a back is practicing
missing your short game, particularly your putting, because you're bent over so much. And so, I mean, I, I've I've met probably t- ten golfers in my life who've never had a back problem. You know that kind of thing. Well, so I mean, it's such a such a and people talk about it, it's just a vicious sport. So I mean, the, the people over the spine clinic they're going to definitely help get you straight. No and, doubt. And, and if you are having problems with your back. Just visit the spineclinicok.com or go to 405-424-5415 and request your appointment. So, T-Dub, we are rolling along here. We got about 15 more minutes to just chill now that the parents are gone. We're going a little bit longer today, going about an hour and a half, but we're just talking about Tory Pines, talking about some U.S. Open stuff. Uh, what else do you want to get into, T-Dub? Man, it, it's major week. I mean, we're always excited. Like you said, the parents are gone. Colby tries to keep us in line. He, he does the best <laughs> that he can. Sometimes he doesn't do a very good job w- with us, but it's hard to manage us sometimes, Sam, you know, you know, as it is. I mean, shout out to our spouses who are able to put up with us for so long, but but, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, there's a lot that we could really get into. You know, one thing, we've kind of broken down the course setup and everything like that and where we were in 2008. One thing I do want to ask you, Sam, one thing that came out was that Tiger declined the NBC um, uh, opportunity to come up in the booth and um, cover some of the tournament. What, what are your thoughts on that? I did not hear about that until just now, to be honest. And so my initial thoughts on this is, Sounds about Tiger. That's kind of what I thought. I, I would have been, I would have been shocked if he would have, yeah. if he would have accepted it. No, I think that I don't think you'll ever see Tiger in a booth on a consistent basis. I think you might see him more in the booth, like Jack Nicklaus does, maybe on the back nine at Memorial or something. You know, commenting on some shots, like when we got Jack Nicklaus saying this shot's impossible, and then Tiger holds the chip shot. Yeah, and so maybe some stuff like that. But I, I don't ever see Tiger because he doesn't. You know. Especially older Tiger and uh, the captain of the, you know, uh, President's Cup and everything. And and he's going to be a captain for the Ryder Cup as well in the future. I don't think he wants to really offend guys by talking in the booth and stuff like that. And I don't think that he wants to waste his time and uh, spending. Like we talked to Scott Verplank. He said he spent 40 hours during the PGA uh, Championship in the booth. And he was only covering featured groups so if you had Tiger Woods in the booth I don't think that he's gonna waste his time and you know I think Tiger's more the guy to you know use his time for this comeback I I don't think that Tiger Tiger Woods thinks that he's done on the golf course I think that he is doing everything that he can to get back healthy uh and I think that Phil Mickelson might have inspired him a little bit that's a very good point then you know that we're talking about announcers and we know how good of a job Phil did in his uh, five minutes that he was in the booth or ten minutes at uh, whatever time it was where he blew Nick Faldo's brain out of the water because he said he was good at three <laughs> things, playing golf and talking golf, and couldn't figure out what the other one was. And I don't know if we even know, but we can use our imaginations on it. And so, you know, I, I've, I've wanted Phil in the booth for a long time, but with when you win a PGA Championship and you get to play for how many ever more years, we're not going to see him for a while. And, yeah. uh, you know, Phil got, would be amazing in the booth. He's going to be great. He, he, I think that's what he, he's going to do. Don't don't think Tiger would be that great in the booth. I don't. But that's I don't what we either. thought about Faldo too, when Faldo kind of had that personality. I know. I, th- I think Fal- I think Faldo does a pretty good job. Him and him and Nance are a fairly a decent team. But like we mentioned before, you know, CBS used to have uh, Nance, Faraday, and McCord on the yeah. same, and that was by far the best the best golf coverage you could get. Yeah. And and you know, I miss I miss having that dynamic duo. You know especially. who took over for Faraday? 
Dottie Pepper? Um, unfortunately. You know, Sam, I got to give you some credit. You've given Dottie Pepper more more kudos the last two weeks than I think you've had in, in the last two years. So you said she's made some good calls here or there? I mean, she what? Has, she's made some good calls. Is, is I she mean, getting better at her job? Is that what it is? Or is she just growing on you? No, I mean, the blind squirrel gets the nut every once in a while. <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean... Dottie Pepper is all right, but I, I I would definitely rather see Faraday in the booth than Dottie Pepper. Oh, there's there's no or that, on the course. I do guess. you um because he because he was there covering in 2008. Do you miss Johnny Miller at all? <laughs> no, no. Johnny Miller was my absolute least favorite of all time. I think that he was so unfair to all these guys, especially coming from a guy you know that he he literally put like nail polish on his ball because he couldn't even putt like, and he's talking crap about all these guys that can't putt. I, I think that if you pulled players that played in that era, Johnny Miller would be their least favorite uh, commentator of all time because he just looked for every single negative to make him look smart and, oh, make him look, you know, kind of out there as far as a commentator. And so I think that a lot of the time, Johnny Miller got a little bit uh, of a genius rep when really he was just saying the negative every single chance he got. Yeah, I mean, we could do it all the time. I could nit- We could nitpick every single bad shot they hit out there. And, you know, Miller was such a – because I've heard some people clamoring lately. I, I don't know if it's just for amazing or being bad or whatever it is, but people say, oh, I miss Johnny Miller. I want him back. And I'm just thinking, I'm like – is that just because you want to hear people talk bad about these pros and the shots I mean, that they hear? tries to be Johnny Miller sometimes. He does, but he does. He's he's very bad at it. <laughs> he's, he's not good at being Johnny Miller, and and I think Azinger has has his good points that he makes every once in a while. He has some outlandish claims. Um, how outlandish you want to make the claim? They said about the European tour, so be it. Um, but that's a definitely a hot take to say the least. Um, so at least he does that. But you know, I've, I've just been hearing a lot lately of oh, bring Johnny Miller back. Oh, and miss. Johnny Miller and I'm like I just don't know why I don't know why people are clamoring for it is it just that they're tired of having the the, I guess the kiss ass mentality when it comes to these golfers and they want to hear some negativity but but like you said Sam I liked what I heard from Scott Verplank on those featured groups and then at Augusta National when he was covering four five and six he was hard enough on the guys to where he would say when it's a bad shot but he would also say look this shot was really hard and 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 kind of give the player credit because we're watching the best players in the world who are playing the best that week and so there's really not that many negatives to talk about as far as like going so harsh that as Johnny Miller went like obviously we on our podcast will say like sneaky choke or whatever you know the pressure got to him coming down the stretch but you know, I, I think that Johnny Miller went a little overboard with all that stuff. Well, he he would do it on every shot. That yeah. was the thing. I mean, it would be um, at, at any point in the tournament if someone just did something that was out of line. And we all hit bad shots. I mean, and the thing about Johnny Miller that's so funny, well, a lot of people don't realize, he's most famous for his 63, you know, at, 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 at Oakmont. I think it was in 73 when it happened. I may be wrong on that. But uh, but nevertheless, it rained the night before that that happened. And so the course was super soft when he didn't. He was one of the first guys to go out and play. And so you don't ever hear Miller bringing that up about his 63, but you've heard him bring it up in the past, you know, stuff like that. And so – and for me, and it, what's also funny too is the stroke that he made for the sixty-three was one of the more yippy strokes I've ever seen. <laughs> was he it just, Lucas Glover like? Oh, it was very close. It was. Or a, was it Will Zalatoris, where it still goes in? It, it, it was Zalatoris. It was. It was. <laughs> it was a little. It was flinchy back, and then Chevy through. And I think. I think because you mentioned the uh, putting dots on the ball and all that stuff, um, or paint on the ball. He was one of the first people to putt with his eyes closed. Yeah. And because I've played with guys that do that, I've I, also played with guys that putt left-handed. I, <laughs> 
I, and ain't that funny? And and that that could be a kind of our closing topic here, since we've kind of gone off the rails here. What what is it about putting that is so different than even sometimes chipping or anything like that? Where you, I have the, the exact the, answer because I had the yips. Yeah, it's, and, and I it's wanna, the fact that you can't make up the shot later in the hole. It it I think it's the pressure of like that's why I struggle with putts like three feet and in is it like knowing- I, I wouldn't have the yips from like eight to any feet you know what I mean it would be inside about five feet three feet it's knowing that you can't make up another shot on this hole if you hit a bad putt so it, it's the essentially the like expect- if you miss a fairway I can still make a birdie or a par but so if I miss this putt it's you know whatever it is so it's essentially that's the end of the line essentially yeah, it's for results that oriented so like the way i got out of it first i switched my technique to the claw and then second you know i was more process oriented instead of results oriented and i think that that's a thing that can help any amateur golfer is you know if you're thinking more about the result and not less about the process you're probably you know to quote South Park, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. yeah. Pizza when you French fry, you're going to have a bad yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I think that that's, it's just such a unique concept. Cause like we saw Tiger get the chipping yips, you know, and, and we've seen people get the driving yips before. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely a thing. And so it's just, it's weird how the mind can take over so much, you know, it's like, like we talked about with the pressure in your hands coming mm-hmm. down the stretch for these guys. And that's, that's how regular people can feel on three-footers sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I felt it before, too, where it's – and I think you're exactly right of the sense of, you know, the 350-yard drive is the exact same as the three-foot putt. Yeah. And it's like, I just – I bombed it and I stiffed it, and now I have this three-footer, I got to make birdie. And then, like you said, you get to thinking about the process and the result, or you think about the result instead of the process, and then you're like, oh, but then doesn't even sniff the hole. And so I think that that's one thing that – Two things. One is that, and any amateurs need to realize that even great players and pros go through uh, stretches like this. But most importantly, you have to realize when they come and why they come, right? And then how to get out of it, like you did for yourself with the putting. You know, you realize the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting (laughs) different, you know, expect different results. You know, you hit the same three footed over and over again. If it doesn't hit the hole, you got to change something. Well, I just in my situation, I was hitting it a little too much with my right hand, but popping it and hitting it, you know, um, to, for people that can't see me doing the motion right now, but basically my right hand was taking over the stroke and I was coming a little outside in. So that was the technical part of why I started missing putts. Then it started getting in my head and then you, you miss a couple meaningful putts and then it really gets in your head. And so then you got to go back to the process, back to what you've practiced. And then really when you get in that press pressure situation with your buddies and, and have a putt for some money or a putt, you know, just for bragging rights in front of all your buddies, you got to stick to the process and just say you know that like straight back straight through whatever your uh your little mantra is in your head gets you a little mantra and number the number one thing I did was I changed my routine to where I pulled the trigger at the same time no matter what and if I didn't pull the trigger then I backed off so it was kind of a timing deal for me and it made it feel more like a free throw and less like a putt um, that, that that's a really good analogy a free throw that's really good and, you know I guess probably the last thing I'd have to ask just because I'm I'm really um, you know, enthused about the or not enthused, but I'm um, intrigued. Well, intrigued, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Is that you know because someone who played at a high level like yourself, you know, you go through different stages, right? You know, like you're you're out there on the practice screen, then you go out and play nine holes when you have to make three footers. Then that's you, another thing th- is when I when I was on the putting green, I never had the yips. 
Not one time. So it was, it was only, it only pressure. It, it was competition. Was yeah. it competition or competition just competitioner when it was a meaningful putt? It for some reason in my brain it did it, and so basically the way I got out of it, like I just said, was process. Yeah. So, so what? I guess the, the the last question I have is you know because you go through those so many stages. What are the growing pains from you know because like like you said you won't miss a putt on the practice screen. Then you go out in a, a huge tournament. The growing pains are not knowing if your new technique and new routine works until you really put it under the fire in the first hole of competition or you know you might not even feel it until the 17th hole that you're playing with your money group you know what I mean and Mm -hmm. so you might not feel it the whole round but once that putt is really meaningful and you can't take it back it's either miss or make right and that's when you're gonna feel it and know whether it works or not and when I switch to the claw it's like I remember it distinctly. I was on the first hole of a qualifier one day and I took it back and it just went back and through. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I feel like Superman. So, <laughs> so is it, is it more like a, like an illness in the sense of like, you feel like it's cured or is it something that's like an ailment to where you feel like you have to constantly moderate it? Uh, it's more of a, more of an ailment. I would assume, uh, well, you know, like, but once I, you know, figured out my process, I think it's more the fact that you have to reinvent it. And, and it's like you have to feel like you're just a kid putting again somehow because the way that you did it your whole life, you're not necessarily – it doesn't work anymore. You know, so basically you have to figure out a way to trick your brain into thinking that I'm going to make this putt. So whatever you can do, and the way I did it was routine process and switching a couple things in my technique – yeah, but that and that's something that like like I was asking you know you can't do that on the putting green you know the most pressure you can well, make you don't on, know if there's you don't know if it works until it's under pressure exactly yeah you you can't put yourself in the 17th hole of a match or on the 71st hole right. of a tournament with a three footer and I know. think that's why professional golfers are so notorious for playing these big money games it's because it's the only way to create pressure when you're not playing for status or playing for your livelihood that's that's how these guys create the same tournament pressure that they face and whether you like it or not that's exactly the best way to do it is play for some money or play for some something that you care about you know what I mean and and the last thing I'll add to that is is that you know, um, you have to know how to play under the pressure right you have you have to know that and you know, there's certain people that are different, right? Because, you know, for example, kids who grew up in stressful households tend to perform better in stressful situations, yeah. you know? So the more pressure that they put on themselves, the better they perform. While there are some people who you give them any ounce of pressure and they crumble like a rock, you know, or yeah. like some sand dust, you know? So I think that that's a personal evaluation thing. And, of, you know, you have to realize what is best for yourself. And you got to reshape your thoughts into, you 100%. know, take a negative into a positive instead of thinking about, all the ways I can miss this putt. When I talk about process, I'm talking about I am thinking about making the putt, but I'm also thinking about things in my stroke that are good. I'm not thinking about, oh, I can't take it outside. I'm thinking about, you know, I'm going to try to – my my thought process was I'm going to try to, you know, take it back a little more inside and, and swing out, like almost towards first base. But it that was my thought process because if I thought about don't doing it outside – eventually I'm going to start doing it outside. It's the pink elephant theory. Yeah, and exactly. And so, you know, it's like, um, you know, this is something that for all our amateurs out there who may be working on something like this, you know, obviously you're a very highly experienced player, Sam, and I don't know how much coaching you got during this stretch, but for a lot of amateurs out there, this isn't something that, then they may try to do it by themselves, but it might not work out very well for them because no. they might try something new and it could make the whole problem worse, you know. No, so I it, remember talking to Stan Ball and I said, 
I can't do anything anymore. And he's like, well, have you tried the claw? And I'm like, that's only for old people. This was before kind of like everyone started using the claw and everything. Uh, I mean, maybe right when people started kind of making it less taboo. Definitely a lot less popular than it is now. Right, exactly. And so, but once I tried it, I was like, I don't care if it looks stupid. You know, that's what people should realize is go watch a PGA or senior PGA tour event. I would say over 50% of the guys do not putt conventional. Oh, oh uh, when you include cross-handed, you include, I mean, VJ has th- 35 different putting grips that he uses. <laughs> He's the reverse claw, two gloves, long putter. Like So as long as you're within the rules of not doing the, the side saddle, which I guess like, you can try like Bryson didn't be DFL and putting like he was. Um, <laughs> but it, it doesn't matter how you look. Just get the ball in the hole. But I think that was a very interesting conversation, Sam, about how to – because that's so much what that stuff all is. It it's is all is mental. to trick your brain into – you know, making a solid stroke without you having to think about it, which is harder than it sounds. So you're telling your, you're, you're thinking in your brain to not think essentially, essentially, but you're thinking about other stuff to allow yourself to react and not, you, you want to be able to react like you're shooting a free throw and not force yourself, you know, to go into motion. What's in motion stays in motion. And that's why you see guys dribble before they shoot a free throw because what's in motion stays in motion. Yeah, that's a very good point. And, and like you mentioned earlier, Sam, you know, just the fact of tricking tricking your brain and thinking, kind of like what we talked about with Chess and Hadley, about right. trying to make the shot as opposed to not missing it. And I right. think that's really the biggest thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's exactly what I was talking about on that chip shot. He needs to be thinking, I have to get this up and down but not in the sense of I'm scared to not get it up and down. It's I have to hit a gutsy enough shot to give myself a chance to get it up and down. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. You hit it in the aspect of, yeah, you want to hit it to to run it by three feet. You don't want to try to make it and hit it 12 feet by. But right. at the same time, you could tell with that that he was timid. So I think that was a, a really good uh, conversation, a good way to, to end it because I think so many listeners out there deal with that problem. No doubt, T-Dub. That's great stuff. And if any of you are in the Oklahoma area, you need to visit golfoklahoma.org. Get all of your local news coverage for golf in this state. They have great stuff for the college golf, uh, great stories. And if you want any junior golf coverage or anything going on in the OGA or pro pro golfers or anything that's going on uh, in the state of Oklahoma and Oklahoma City or Tulsa or any of the surrounding areas, you need to go to golfoklahoma.org find us on the home page and then do me a favor go follow us at the 73rd hole on twitter and at 73rd hole on instagram i think we're going to be doing some cool stuff this week some giveaways uh, of some really good 73rd hole merchandise maybe some other stuff and so what i need you to do for that is i need you to go follow us on instagram and twitter And then I will pick someone that follows us on Instagram and Twitter. And then I will also uh, be looking at the subscriptions for the podcast on Apple and Spotify. So if you do all three of those things, then you will qualify to get some 73rd Hole merchandise. uh, And we will continue to tweet about that throughout the week. We will be back with you tomorrow afternoon for our full uh, U.S. Open preview. I would assume that Woody will be on with us. I'm not sure if Colby Powell is going to be with us tomorrow. He may, he may not. But regardless, uh, congratulations to him. Happy anniversary. And thank you for Taylor Williams being here. For Sam Humphreys and the 73rd hole, we are out. We are out.